0: Joining Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch is one of the brightest minds in Florida politics. Somebody that I turn to a lot for uh, answers about all things technical, digital, cutting edge. Um, he is a resource uh, on so many different areas. Joe Clemens, how are you, my friend?
1: Good, good. You forgot to mention wildly aggressive tweets
0: wildly aggressive treat you you Tweets. and you like to you like to write uh you're you're known for uh, a uh i think a very good newsletter that I get out is it is it just me but it comes out on Fridays, right?
1: yep Fridays okay. uh-huh we try and get it out before noon on Fridays
0: It's called the download right
1: correct Maybe.
0: yep, yep. Um, and you uh you you're always thinking big picture and so you throw out some big picture concepts. And yet they have, a, I think, think—like a still a good sense of practicality to them. Um, and so they always get me thinking, but then they always prompt me to, I don't know, put something on my to-do list to follow up. Uh, and so I enjoy reading those. Um, you and your partner, Matt Farrar, uh, Strategic Digital Services, um, you guys are like, uh, you guys are the guys behind so many of the digital ads and uh, social media campaigns for a lot of Florida candidates and things like that, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, not as much as we used to be. One of the big shifts in the business over the last two years has been a lot less campaign work and a lot more uh, corporate work and advocacy work. So uh, you know, the first three years of the company, it was a lot of campaigns. And then after 2018, Uh, The campaign piece of the business, it's still there just as a percentage of the business isn't, um, you know, it it probably ranges from 20 to 35 percent of the business, depending on the time of year.
0: You guys had a great write up in Florida Trend as one of the fastest growing businesses. Uh, No, excuse me. You got ranked as one of the fastest growing businesses and also had a great write up
1: in Florida Trend. Trend. Yeah.
0: So it's been Uh, a pretty nice little year business wise. And then also. Uh, you've got uh, a well, not as new as Matt's baby, but you've got a, a relatively new baby situation as well.
1: Yeah, yeah we have a, a one year old, what one year and one month at this point.
0: <clears throat> it is, uh, it's amazing how some of that stuff flies. Like, it seems like you guys just had your baby. Like, yeah, I remember it, the announcement.
1: It feels like it. You know, what's interesting is one of the silver linings I think everybody's seeing about being at home. Is being at home isn't so bad when there's no fear of missing out on anything else. Uh, in fact, if you if you have a family, it's probably incredibly valuable. Like I suspect, in several years, we'll look back on this period as like stressful and a lot of anxiety about what was going to happen, but a time when uh, you know people who were lucky enough to be in a good family situation uh, really accelerated, uh, you know, the the closeness of their nuclear families. Now, you have a lot of people outside that, bad family situations, people who live alone, things like that are going to have totally different experiences. But for those with good marriages and kids, it's probably in a few years going to look like a golden age of a family.
0: Well, and there was somebody on Facebook, uh, Beth Babington, who is, uh used to be a political fundraiser, and she's married to Adam Babington, who's a lobbyist for Disney. I, I find her to be... Um, very forthright in her opinions. And she kind of mentioned that this weekend on Facebook. She's just like, you know, I get it. Uh, Not everybody is in the same circumstance. Uh, There are some, there are, there, there are millions of people for whom this, you know, working at home is not an enviable situation. And if they're not able to work, just staying at home and trying to do distance learning, she was making the case, you know, this is amazing. Um, I never thought I was going to get this second chance with my children, and that's how I feel right now. Where Ella Joyce was just starting to get to that age where, you know, seven becomes twelve very quickly, and you know, she was starting to become much more interested in um, what her friends were doing and what was going on in the world outside. And it's, you know, I don't want her to see her growth stunted, but it, it I put that on pause. At least for a few more months. And so, yeah, we're taking fully advantage of extra time for snuggles and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know,
1: and also, you know, the conditions we're in now is how children are raised for a lot of human history at home with your nuclear family, with an extended family, with this idea that there are significant threats outside of the house for you. Uh, and you could take this back to the, you know, early years of our country, uh, in pioneers, you could take this all the way back to the Donny of human history where you had other tribes or you had, uh, you know, short faced bears or something that would eat and attack people. So the circumstances kids are in right now is, is actually something that's, bears. yeah, <laughs> I, I say Janimal trivia for you. It's uh, <laughs> is, is something that has been essential to the human experience prior to maybe 80 or 90 years ago.
0: I, I think there was a great article. Um, I think David Brooks had it uh, that it was basically saying the nuclear family is all wrong you know, that this idea of, you know, mom and dad and two kids raising it when it used to be much more communal. Um, it was, you know, a much bigger, uh, you know, and some, some communities still have, or some cultures still have that, but, um, he just, it was a a fascinating argument to make this, that this was all a big mistake, this, you know, single family concept that we have. And, I think that one of the things that is definitely going to happen out of this pandemic, number one, there's going to be no shortage of think pieces. We know that there's just, you know, there's just going to be so much, yeah. uh, so many hot takes and so many people that are going to be trying, that are going to try and write the counterintuitive. I mean, we're going to have years of this. Um, and that's good.
1: It's a critical time in our society that that thought needs to be taking place. Like, why so? Uh, so uh, there's this idea and some, you know, de- I, you hear different opinions on it. The, the Strauss Howell generational theory, right. It's also called like the fourth turning theory, which is this idea that every 80 years in the United States, yep, there's a generational and a cultural and institutional overturning. So under that theory, we're at the end of that. We're in the the uh, the unraveling stage or the crisis stage right now. And so what what you're living through, and and you could mark the beginning of this as 9-11. You could mark it at the beginning of the Trumps. Sometime in the last 20 years, this phase started. And at some point in the next 10, it'll end. It And w- the world that we're going to have by 2030 is going to be dictated by how we think about today. And so the the broader the thought is about how we think about today, the more people consider different perspectives about how we think about today, the more likely it is we're going to land in a good place in the, in the rebuild phase. or when the rebuild phase is done in the early 2030s under that Strauss how theory now, you know, maybe you subscribe to there's other theories of how civilizations work, but you know, under that theory, this would be really important that that thought is happening.
0: I, um, I mean, it it's, I I laugh at some of – and this is not to laugh at what you're saying. I laugh at when people come up with these grand uh, governing theories like, you know, the Francis Fukuyama, this is the end of history (laughs) kind of period. And you, like, look at everything now and you're just like, I I wonder how we – why we even thought that we were at a limit on some of these things. And I I could see – you know, there's – I I remember – I, I forgot which prediction model that I was looking at, but it like casually said like something like, well, there's a 10% chance of complete and utter uh, collapse of civilization. And I'm like, man, I mean, we're taking that pretty lightly there that there's this one in 10. And I, 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 I thought I was reminded of risk reward theory last night. I was watching that Michael Jordan documentary and it was Jordan wanted to come back and play ownership. Didn't want him to play. And they were trying to explain to him, hey, listen, you yes, you only have a 10 percent chance of getting injured, but it's not about you being injured. If you were to have a 10 percent chance that you were never going to get to play again, of course, you would never come back onto the court. And, and Jordan was just like, well, I don't know. Um, and so it was kind of interesting. I think people out there, that's really what's going on right now is a lot of people with bad information. Up and down on both sides or all sides are making risk reward decisions. Mm-hmm. Um and but the unfortunate part of that is, and this isn't just you know a lack of testing and so forth, we just this is all so new. It's literally called a new virus that we just can't make we it's, can't it's, make appropriate decisions because we don't have enough it, information.
1: It's new to us, but it's old to humanity. Okay. Um, You know, so it's new to us because for a long time we thought we were beyond nature or above nature or not subject to nature in a significant way. This is the first time in any of our lifetimes that like that nature has come rifling back in to a thing that has to be contended with. And so what you were saying, I think what's and, and by the way, in all situations like this, there's always imperfect information and everybody's making their own calculation on how to deal with it. Um, so, you know, one of the things I see in my neighborhood that I think is interesting is, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the older people I've never seen outside their house before, uh, are now just on the move all day long, walking up and down the street, working in their yard, just kind of meandering around, just being outside. And at, on one glance that looks really irresponsible, right? You are clearly in a vulnerable population for this, Sue, you should you might want to stay in your house. But on the other hand, if you're 78, 79, man, 2 weeks from now isn't guaranteed. 2 months from now isn't guaranteed. What what is the risk reward of you spending the last 2 months in your house and then you die of a heart attack, you know, in your sleep or you have a stroke in your nursing home. So, yeah, and that's just one example of people making that risk reward in in that scenario. But I think we also have taken civilization To be this free thing where it's riskless, like we don't have we have to pay very little cost to live in the society that we have with these magical supply chains that I push a button on my phone and something shows up at my house. And look, we don't want that risk. We want that risk to be as low as possible. And this is also the first time we've had to contend with a very new risk injected into it that we haven't factored in. Like we factor in driving all the time, which is super dangerous. We all know someone who's died in a car wreck. We all know someone who's been seriously injured in a car wreck, probably multiple people. Uh, But it's something we've factored in. And so it, it... uh, marginally impacts the way we go. we wear seatbelts. We try to obey speed limits. We don't want red lights. Things like that. And this is new when we're trying to figure out what is the what is the strategy that allows us to pursue our definition of flourishing uh, and minimize the risk of of death, <laughs> you know, or negative outcome.
0: Well, where and, do you come down? Because and I I, I don't want to assume. Um, yeah. Because I mean, you are a. Um, you're a you're you're probably a traditional conservative.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting thing I've come to see in the last year, Peter, is the 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 flip between when I was in college, I, I probably am closer now to what a John Kerry Democrat was in two thousand and four than what a Bush Republican was. And there's a couple of things that were very clearly, I think, wrong with traditional conservative thinking. One is like it. I can't make the argument that the economic stuff clearly worked well for most people. You know, I'm I'm from Kentucky, from Louisville. I saw the end of the manufacturing era. I've seen the drugs in play in there. I've seen like it. It hasn't clearly worked well for everybody. Now, look, the example is actually it's actually worked pretty well for me personally. I don't know what's worked well for everybody else. And so, I think free trade, uh, you know, would have been a staple. Uh, conservative economic thing. I, I think my mind has been changed about American uh, adventurism abroad. Um, you know, partially because for my entire adult life, uh, we've been in some war or another in Iraq or Afghanistan. And then partially, I had a friend who was killed on the Iraq Syria border. Uh, you know, and, and to, what, to what end is, is the question you have to face. Now, look, in 2004, five, and six, that was something Democrats were screaming about. Was that, and I, I wasn't sensitive to that angle at all, and I think I am now. So on those two things, I think I flipped significantly. Now in terms of my skepticism on on what what does government do with with new and additional powers? Like I have the saying, like emergency powers are the tastiest powers if you're a politician. They're actually pretty yummy if you know how to use them. Right. Uh, you get to wear the cool jacket. You get to have a press conference in prime time every night. Uh, you get to be the subject of attention. You get to take. You get to look like a person of action. And so it's actually much easier to govern in a state of emergency than it is to govern in normal times because people are willing to defer to you to the most part. So my concern is we we have to have this balance of our goal. Everybody's goal is human flourishing. Everybody's goal. Um, we have this, this requirement that we have this system of laws and institution that function to allow that. And so what we can't, do is we can't totally mitigate our risk on this of the virus at the exchange of upending some of the bedrock things in our system that do work pretty well. Uh, and your you, your tweet response yesterday was basically, I said this is the ultimate uh, safety uh, versus freedom argument. Like the more the more safe the government makes you, the less free you probably are. This is the ultimate of that. And your counter was, well, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to social distance. I'm going to change my behavior. And I still have all my rights. And I think that's exactly true. And I think that's one of the things in general is underestimated about people is one, our bias for negative information. Like when we believe something is dangerous, we tend to avoid it. Now, look, we do have this problem. Have you watched the show Avenue five yet on HBO? Uh,
0: is that the one
1: with um, the spaceship one? They're on the I space cruise the first, liner.
0: I watched the first four episodes. I, I, I think it faded off a little
1: bit. Yeah. So. There's this in the second to last episode, there's this scene that I think is really descriptive of, of how people respond to things like this. And so the passengers, so the background is these passengers on this luxury space liner and it's run by kind of this crazy narcissist guy. Um, and so they're off course and it's going to take them seven years to get back home when it was only supposed to take like three months And so the people then become convinced by this rumor that they're really in a reality TV show and outside the (laughs) airlock is just normal life. Uh, And you have this lady in the crowd and she's like, I work in Hollywood special effects and these are special effects. And so these groups of people keep going to the airlock, trying to get out of the airlock. And the staff has tried to tell them, no, no, you don't want to go out there. You will die. You will die.
0: What I remember of that show, I can totally see the characters doing that
1: And they're begging people not to do it eventually they force their way through and the first three people freeze to death and get sucked into space (laughs) in the airlock. And then another wave of people are like, no, that's special effects. And then they go and do it and they get sucked out there. And then after, you know, six people have gone out the airlock and died, everybody's like, Oh, maybe this isn't a reality TV show. And then start to behave normally again. I think human nature being what it is in a free society, you have to allow for the airlock problem to exist. Mm. Um, Now, look, a a disease is a little bit tricky because, like, it's not just they go out the airlock. It's they could potentially get the disease and then spread it around everywhere else. Um, But I do think what we're looking at in in the medium run is a disease that is dangerous, but also can be mitigated in ways that with behavior change, we can have semi-normal life. That's probably social distancing. That's probably mask. Concerts and stadiums probably aren't going to be a thing for a while. But getting back out into semi-normal life uh, should be possible over the medium term, so long as we don't have leaders who, and honestly, uh, you know, a population that plans on holding their leaders leaders fully accountable for every single death from the pandemic. There's, right, there's let's a break
0: this, let's break a, mm-hmm. a couple things down on that. Number one, Avenue Five. I got to revisit um,
1: that second to last episode. Is probably the the height. Number two, you know, this is just a personal
0: challenge and I just say it to you as my friend. It's like it's so hard right now, like the class warfare that bubbles inside and within, like the the swinging back and forth of privilege versus guilt versus nobility oblige versus community responsibility. Like it just it washes through me over and over again, like half the time. I'm just like, hey. If you – if the don't tread on me crowd wants to go out there, go have at it. Like, you know what? We, we, have, they, we have done everything we can to warn people to take this seriously. Um, you know, I saw, I saw one of my – I saw my student government advisor from high school whose husband is on the Pinellas County School Board here. She was saying, you know what? Um, you know, I miss my kids at the school. Open the schools back up. And I'm just thinking – You know, I thought that that was crazy, and I do think that that is wrong. It's not even because of her. It's because, you know, it's the little asymptomatic kids bring the disease to the 65-year-old teacher teacher and kill them. Um, But then it's like what I think, and this is really where this is cleaving this entire country into, is not between those who want to stay at home and those who don't it's the who can stay at home and um and and who can't and i'm like who's
1: quote essential end quote
0: i'm looking outside my house and it's like it's it is this entire situation in a nutshell i'm looking at the construction of a three-story house you know and i'm thinking and i'm looking at the workers there now they are outside and they're not like breathing on each other but there are definitely going to be moments where they're you know, working together or working in close quarters together and they got no options here. They don't have, there's they, you, they can't do what they're doing from home at home. Yeah. Um, and so they're having to do this and what are they doing? They're doing it so that someone can live in this, you know, McMansion here, uh, near the water and it, where they, you know, they're, I bet you those guys that are working on this are not, don't live within five miles of this house. Yeah. Um, and, Part of it is like, you know, they're also – there's also this like divide. Those guys are all in shape and healthy, whereas doughy ass me is sitting up here looking at them, you know, just like I'm frightened to death of them because in a way, not of them physically, but, you know, they are going to be asymptomatic. And if they're walking around, they're going to get my big ass sick. And I don't know. There's just – This is this is once in a generation because it is so many like there are so many angles to it. It's so overwhelming.
1: It's like it's like a great piece of literature. There's threads you can pull out in every single part of it and explore what it's what it is pointing out to you or the tensions it's creating.
0: You know, the thing that always strikes me about you, too, is, um, you know, you do have uh, a wife who works in the process and she works. Um, she's known for her work on school choice. Um, I I really do stick to that concept that you two are traditional conservatives. And yet, you know, you are making the argument here that that's such a, that is such a, it can sometimes be a pejorative when, you know, because it's been manipulated, you know, conservatism has been manipulated into something else. um, You know, and the people that are going to be construed as conservative now are somehow they get lumped in with Trump Trump even that's not necessarily to assign a negative value to Trump. It's just saying that, yeah, he is not a conservative. There's just no part of him that is a conservative. No, Uh, I mean,
1: he, he, I mean, you could make an argument that Trump potentially could have done the same thing in a democratic primary, maybe not in 2016, but possibly in 2008 or 2004. Um, you know, right, that, that populist element was the democratic side of things prior to 2016. Um, so, I mean, Trump is, you know, Trump is this epiphenomena that's happening over top of all these other cultural changes. You know, primarily the 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 corruption of institutions. And I don't mean corruption like, you know, graft. I mean, corruption like the, the game that the institution is actually playing is not the game that they're telling you they're playing. So the most, you know, best example of this right now is probably the national media, right? The national media, the game they tell you they play is we're keeping you informed. The game they're actually playing is incitement for, you know, commercial purposes.
0: Do you think, uh, I I, now I'll push back on that as part of that. I don't think that that is true at the journalist level, at the individual. And I don't, I'm not talking about Anderson Cooper. Yeah, true. Who's a celebrity. I, I I think that the... I think the healthcare reporter for the Los Angeles times Mm -hmm. is not writing what they're writing because they're trying to get clicks. And in fact, I think they wish they worked in a socialist world where there wasn't necessarily an economic value attached immediately to what they do. Um, Yes. Now, do I think that like hedge fund controlled, new uh, chain newspapers are doing like there's listen <laughs> or, our traffic or, is up or, three and, and a half central. times <laughs> i mean we are you know I, i've never seen like i'm not worried i mean quite honestly i'm not worried about the future of florida politics or extensive enterprises right now because our you know our traffic and brand are just so much well, you bigger built a than it business was.
1: model for the internet your business model de facto contemplated the internet exists and how to provide to produce a sustainable business based on that
0: if the tampa bay times wanted to do what they like if they were starting over from scratch right now they would do exactly what i have done which you know like if they could convert everything they would be a digital only space with a network of independent contractors so that you're not tied to their healthcare and like and it's not that i don't want to because i pay I pay much higher salaries so that my worker or my, there's no, there's no my there. There's no possessive. Yeah. um, So that the colleagues that I work with, you know, can make their own healthcare decisions. Like I just, I have for 15 years, I've never believed I should be in the business of deciding the healthcare uh, needs of those who, you know, I work with. I just, I, I just don't think that that, I've never liked that system. I know why it was created. You know, it was created as an incentive, you know, many, many years ago when there were, you know, as a way to attract workers when the market was different. But the idea that I should be involved in your healthcare decisions as your employer, that's just silly. Um, And we wouldn't be and we wouldn't do it that way, whether it would be single payer or whether it would be higher compensation, which is where. You know, we probably give about 20 percent more. And quite honestly, if you're Renzo Downey, if you're my 22-year-old, you know, uh, or 24-year-old reporter, he's ecstatic, you know, because he's making, you know, 20 to 30 percent more than his colleagues. And he's getting to take that money and use it as he wants, when if he was having to pay health care, yes, he would have that benefit yeah. in, a cat- in a catastrophic situation, but he wouldn't use it. He would I mean, he's not going to go to the doctor, but. Once or twice this year, if at all, same yeah. thing for, you know, more than half of the people that I work with. Now, there, there, are, there are a couple people, yes, um, you know, who probably use up more of the healthcare care system. But I just I don't want to be involved in that. So, again, I would just say if they could, if, the, if a newspaper could be anywhere, it would be in a digital only space, not tied to any union, uh, you know, holdovers from the 19th century um, and then. <laughs> You know, they're, they're attached to, you know, think about it, think about the Tampa Bay times here. I don't know how familiar you are with St. Petersburg, but they're they're They in a way control the entire development of St. Petersburg because they have a printing plant, a huge printing plant right in the middle of the city. It's on 34th street and there's about 80 streets in uh, Pinellas County. So that's right in the middle and it's right off of I think Thirteenth Avenue, so it's it's in the heart of the city, and with that, they need the CSX line, the tr- the rail line to bring in the paper every you know day or whatever, mm-hmm. and that thing divides the entire county, and that's where the interstate runs and so you're like, why does this city why is this city divided east versus west, east being affluent, west not, et cetera, and it's because I'm not blaming them, but the decision was we're going to put a printing press here where nobody was. And now that printing press is obsolete. And yet, you know, an entire city has basically grown up around it. It's very interesting.
1: Yeah. And so this is, you know, when I use that term, you know, institutional corruption, what that refers to again is the situation changes, but the institution for a myriad of reasons doesn't adapt. And then you get in this position where the misalignment is so enormous that it's, produ- it's spinning off perverse incentives. Now, to your point about reporters, about journalists, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you can work in a, you know, quote, corrupt institution, end quote, and and be like not corrupt yourself. Like, the and, and the corrupt doesn't, again, mean like graph, like you're taking bribes. I mean, the the incentive structure for the institution has become wildly misaligned for the world that that institution is in. And I think that's what's happening. We're in this process of realigning all of our institutions like one of the things this is doing like right now uh the 20 year old at the local community college in you know santa fe community college in alachua is fundamentally now getting the same educational experience as the 20 year old at harvard or yale they're logging into zoom and being lectured um and so i think we're starting and and why and here's
0: a question for you why do you now if you break down all of these institutions and you like Part of me has thought, you know, why are the young people so not upset with what is going on right now? And by young people, I mean like 20s to, you know, a, a generation below me. Um, yeah. And it's like, well, you know what? These are folks that were raised in the in 9-11, the Iraq War and the Great Recession. So this is not people that grew up in the go-go 80s and the decadence and the opulence of that and the peace and prosperity of the nineties. You know, like I was watching, again, I was watching that MJ documentary last night. And of course it's channeling where I'm thinking about where I was and everything like that. 1985, 1987, 1991. And you're just like, man, I mean, there was just, everybody was invincible. I mean, and the people that were doing all the cocaine were doubly invincible. I mean, it was a whole (laughs) period of invincibility. And now you've got, you know, if you're 27, you know, they're telling you, "Hey, why don't you live in a in an apartment that's built out of a container?" Um, and <laughs> no offense to my good friend Paul Bradshaw's yeah. business model, but it's like, hey, we're gonna we're, we're gonna make that attractive for you. That, that is literally so. That's the business model: is live in a container ship. Yeah. Uh, no car. We don't. You're not. You're not going to be able to afford a car. We're going to crush you with student debt. We're going to you're not going to get health care. And, you know, you're going to um, the value of your work is, is at this point, you know, what are you aspiring to at this point? You're a cog in the machine of some mega global corporation. And I just I can see where folks out there are like, hey, pandemic. You know what? You're going to reset some of this stuff? I don't, you know, so why am I attached to any I, of this? I think
1: the answer to your question is I just think for certainly for Gen Zers who are, you know, 14 to 22, 23 years old, and then millennials who are, say, 23 to 38 right now, for, for the older millennials is starting to sink in. I think for the bulk of that generation – it, it hasn't sucked in to them completely yet that they're not going to have the lives their parents had. It's unlikely their parents are going to leave them significant amounts of money to improve their status. Many of them are going to miss family formation. Uh, most of them, you know, mate who want to may never own homes. Uh, you, you know, I, I don't think it's fully sunk in yet is, is the problem you have with that generation. They're still young enough. So they have two things. One is they're still young enough. We're like, Oh, I'm still young. Two is they also live in this world where kind of deferred uh, maturation is encouraged or preferred. So they don't start thinking they're an adult till they're 28, 29, 30. And by that time, it's, you know, especially for women who I think probably really are in this very strange position because they grew up in this anti-natalist youth culture, don't have a family, families are oppressive. Then they hit their early 30s and then they have this very small window for for family formation, and some of them are going to make it, and some of them won't. And so, I think one of the problems we're going to have, and the virus is going to exacerbate this, is we we're really going to have like a population crisis coming in the next ten or fifteen years. There's not going to be enough young people to replace the boomers uh, once they well, finally start aging out if they don't. Unless we have them a forever.
0: unless we have a disease that kills <laughs> off a bunch of older people. Yeah. Um, which. <laughs> it's you know i wonder i mean there is like that's what's frightening is you know is what it's doing to not just older people but i mean if you and i i really still do believe um this is going to be just a a gradual constant you know like it will be like the flu like i have said again i've made fun of everybody that has said this is like the flu we will be lucky if it's not like the flu because the flu is a motherfucker. Yeah. And it kills a lot flu, of people. If
1: we had the flu and then we had this every year, same yeah. fatality rate, that's going to be rough every year.
0: Right. Now- <laughs> On top of, you know, where we were just only, I mean, it was the first time in three years that life expectancy had started to go back up. I mean, it had dropped down for a couple of years. Um Huh, I think the uh girls are coming home let me uh let me give this has gone a little bit longer than i try to say bite size but let me ask the questions I ask everybody else on this pod mm-hmm. um when did coronavirus get real for you? Uh, I was I at a. I can, and, yeah, yeah I, you,
1: I I was at a client lunch in orlando. And um, actually, Adam Babington was at that lunch and a couple other of the theme park hospitality folks were there as well and mentioned that they had closed the theme parks in Asia and were about to close the theme parks on the West Coast. And, Got and it. this was late February. And And when Disney, when a corporation like that is is basically cutting off its primary revenue source, like there's something going on there. Are you a uh, Disney
0: guy? I mean, I, I, obviously I am an everybody... admirer
1: of Disney as a company, the Disney product. I I'm not into as much.
0: Okay. Is that, do you know that it's coming down the pipe for you as a young father? Are you going to be one of those parents that avoids it? Um,
1: uh, I, I. So one of the things about quarantine for me is I'm a pretty strong introvert and I don't like crowds. So I'll probably avoid it as much as possible and let grandparents take uh to yeah. <laughs> take her to disney um but I, that's why look i the business model is or at least pre-covid is an amazing business model it's this ip factory that can extract every possible it not only buys ip increases its value and then extracts every dollar possible from it it's an amazing business model we may it's, never see it replicated again
0: no that you know that's in a way you're right because it, 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 the footprint is that it takes is so big, and it's kind of amazing, you know, that you've, you know, through, you know, uh, their smart acquisitions where you pick up the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, there just isn't, there isn't another Marvel Cinematic Universe out there. I mean, there's, there just is, I mean, there isn't. You know, there, I mean, I guess maybe, like, things, I'm trying to think of other huge franchises. It would have to be something like, Batman or Star Trek but even at that it's like I think that those are already done I don't know that they're applicable here's Um, here's
1: the issue with IP is I I would argue it's no longer possible to develop IP in in traditional formats that it's difficult to develop ip through books difficult to introduce it into a movie difficult to introduce it into a tv show that the future of ip development is going to be ip that develops natively online somehow youtube channels or instagram accounts some way like that is where the future ip is going to come from
0: well and i also think how you and this isn't just like I still go back to like, I think we are going to get to a three. I I still believe in 3D. I still believe in, you know, augmented reality. I still believe that, you know, that there has got to be, and it's funny because you would think that that would be taking off right now. You would think like everybody would be plugged into Oculus and just, you know, using that up. And I I haven't seen it. Like maybe you've seen something um, about usage rates on that, but I haven't seen like, you know, Facebook can't keep Oculus and say what I, what, you know, what I'm having trouble, I really can't get a video conferencing. I can't get like, um, I wanted to get a ring light, you know, to help the lighting.
1: Yeah. Those are sold out.
0: Those are gone to like May 8th is, uh, the closest you can get of that right now. Um, you know, the other thing with Disney and I love the business of Disney, uh, I do like, and I will say I'm buying the shit out of there stock right now it's I think it's only I think it's right above a hundred dollars maybe 101 102 it was just you know just yeah. earlier this year it was at 125 130 I think it'll be back there again I can't you know I I can't believe that somehow this world is not going to uh embrace Mickey Mouse but then again I'm like as the guy who's been on 19 Disney cruises, I don't know how I get back on a Disney cruise. So your
1: your, your primary issue, I think, with Disney is Disney can do it. It's just how long it takes them because they have all the IP to do it. So to replace revenues from parks, they need to take Disney Plus subscribers to like 380 million worldwide. I think they're sitting at like uh, 50 million or 40 million right now, something like that. And then the second thing they need to do is they need to introduce um, a, a highly immersive platform play that's at least comparable in experience or immersive as an experience is what you get at a theme park. That probably is some sort of VR AR play. And so I suspect what you'll see with VR is it will get popular when Disney has a big push to make on it. When Disney has the thing that everybody just has to do on it.
0: Yeah. Um, but again, you know, uh, their big money, it's not their big money maker. I, um, I think, and I think we both read Matthew Ball's stuff, but it's like, remember the difference between, um, other than Comcast, any other, you know, uh, any other content creator, what Disney can do is they can, you can go and touch Mickey Mouse. Yeah. uh, Whereas you can't touch anything else. And I did like, Sweet Ella Joyce, like she's crying the other night because we just got into a discussion about how, I don't know that she's going to be able to hug Mickey Mouse again. How do you break that of, of millions of kids? I don't know. Uh, and that's very small potatoes as like you've got, you know, people dying by the tens of thousands. And I mean, I think now Europe so has, a, I,
1: has had I a million I think it's cases. important, Peter, like one of the things I think we do is we try and trivialize human flourishing with, with fatality numbers. The fatality, like I'm glad deaths, you're saying this. Go de- ahead. Deaths I, 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 are bad. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to have a loved one that dies. Hold on.
0: Hold on. You're saying people don't want to die.
1: Is that what you're saying? hundred percent. Nobody wants to die. uh, Or, you know, maybe some you have suicide and that's a, a bad thing. But most people are trying to live. And what we do when we say I feel bad for wanting to do X because this is happening over here is we trivialize our desire to flourish in our life. Um and we also trivialize look, there's people, doctors or nurses, or military or police, or the truck driver, or the meat packers, whoever it is, that are sacrificing so that we have a chance to get back to that point of flourishing. So your concern, I want to take my daughter to Disney World, trivial compared to dying, but very, very important that we don't feel bad about the desire for wanting to return to a life that we love and enjoy.
0: I and uh, I was gonna, if I if you were we accept in
1: universal indefinite quarantine, has like oh, that's the thing. Like that's that that's a big problem. Right. We're, we're not designed to live holed up in our houses indefinitely.
0: Although, and you said you're an introvert. Like I, people call me and they're like, "How are you doing?" And I, I want to just tell them, I'm like, "Wait a second, you're telling me I don't have to go out and talk to people? I don't have. I can. I can stay in my." And, in my castle and not, and people just deliver stuff. the, I mean, the number of that leaders bar.
1: I've talked to, peter, um around Tallahassee, but also some of our other clients who, when I talk to them, like they'll get through and be like, you know what? it's been so I forgot what it was like not to travel two days a week. right. I forgot what it was like, you know, not to be gone every other weekend on a whatever event. I don't think I'm going back to that again. I think another silver lining is the rediscovery of like, not having to constantly be in motion in order to accomplish business.
0: That's an interesting. But then what does that do to the economy?
1: Well, so, I mean, that's a good question. I think what you have is, you know, what you would assume you would find is if people aren't traveling, you know, just for an arbitrary handshake business meeting and they're doing it over Skype, is that the the emotional and mental resources. They're not expending towards, you know, work travel or whatever. gets put into additional productivity at their workplace or gets expended on other recreational activities that they enjoy. Yeah. Uh, And I, now there's some businesses that will be losers in that game for sure, but you should have some winners in there.
0: Well, and I wonder if it becomes, you know, the mat, if it becomes, you know, uh, you know, does it become like traveled in Mad Men where, you know, it was a luxury to go to the airport and, you know, you had the big TWA airplanes and it was a, you know, it's a $900 ticket to get to New Orleans. And therefore going to those places is, is valued more. Like, you know, I thought about it. It was very odd the other day. Not odd. It was, it it was exactly this point. Ella Joyce wanted to go find the ice cream man. Now for the last, seven years of her life, I could care less about the ice cream man, but the ice cream man, this, you know, figure from a bygone era suddenly means something again, because we can't go anywhere. And so there was a moment of joy in finding the ice cream man when, you know, we're we're able to get, you know, ice cream delivered to us from dozens of places going and finding the ice cream man was enjoyable, And I wonder if that'll be the way it is with travel. Maybe if we're not going to, uh, uh, Croatia, you know, will will value uh, what it was like to go to France or what it was like to go to New York. You know, maybe we shouldn't have, you know, 10 million people in New York City for the uh, holidays. I don't know. Um, what was your last normal day?
1: Um, so we worked fairly normally in the office until the county and city went to the Safer at Home order, which was, I I can't remember the day, March 10th, March 13th. And I actually, when everybody left before they left, I told them, you know, thanks for being willing to to come in until the local government made a decision. And like, I I hope that you enjoy this because this is the last normal day you're likely to have for a long time. Uh, I think everybody thought I was kind of full of shit when I said it, but now like, you know, four weeks later, everybody's like, oh yeah, you're right.
0: No, I think, uh, do you find that, do you, like, I wanted to bring this up to you, Um, not everybody has a Washington Post subscription, you know, not everybody reads at anywhere near the level that you do, and, you know, or I do to some, or maybe to a lesser extent, like, we have this, we just have so much information, you and I, and we know where to hunt for information, we know how to process it. We know how to, probably better than other people, distill it down, uh, to, to sort out fact from, you know, fiction. You know, we, we're not, you and I are not, I mean, we like, I know that we both enjoy a good rabbit hole to chase down. Uh, but we're not, we're not on InfoWars. I don't think we are. I don't, I mean, I'm not. I don't know what you're yeah. doing, but I'm not on Info. I don't need uh, confirmation bias or any of that kind of stuff. I In fact, I like reading you know, count stuff that's counter to what, you know, I'm thinking, um, that said 99% of the people, you know, around us don't have that access. And so the thing that they are reading is, you know, they're getting their information from the 24 year old that just got out of communication school <laughs> who now wants to become a journalist at the bad TV station in Sarasota. Yeah. Um, and that's, You know what I mean? Like, that's who, I mean, we know that that's where they're getting most of their news from. And, like, people say Facebook. Well, that's not what they mean. Yes, Facebook. But what all people are doing is is they're taking an article that they've read and putting it on Facebook. So it still is the New York Times or Florida Politics or, Mm -hmm. you know, the local TV station. It isn't like you're producing a newscast every night. And so I think that it's misleading when people say, oh, I'm getting my information from Facebook. Yeah.
1: Look, I think one of the things that we probably underestimate is the ability for even average people to wade through information when they want to. I think the big problem is there's so much confirming information available that it's like a warm bath. Like, I'm going to go take the warm bath, not the cold shower. And so everybody heads for the warm bath of their choice. I think that is the, the bigger problem than people don't you know, don't know how to begin to discern valuable information versus fake information versus, you know, fringe information. It's that we kind of are just drawn to what we want to find. And there's an outlet that's going to provide it to us.
0: Are we allowed to just say at this point that people suck uh, or are people amazing? Like, I, I I guess that's like, and maybe that's at the core of this. It's like, I got to give people credit. Like most people are, not most people, 90% of people are staying at home. You know, there isn't some mass murder that hasn't happened. I mean, uh, and yet, like, I see the, uh, and I, I don't know what has happened to 65-year-old conservative white woman in America. Like, I don't know why they're so bitter. It's not the dudes. Like, I get the dudes because, in a way, woke society is a direct threat to their place in the, in the, in the established order. So if you are a white male American and you you want, even if you believe like you don't want to be that person anymore. It's your, the territory that's being given up on the hierarchy is you, you are like when they, when you are saying we need to have more of this, that means less. white So
1: I want to counter a piece of that narrative. So I think what you find is the, the older white men who are actually privileged by and large, kind of like wink at the game and like, you know, like whatever. I'm already old and rich and white. Like, so, sorry. Like, let's appoint the diversity person at my company. Like, let's change the business roundtables pledge to have social responsibility above profit. I think one of the massive tension points in our society is you have this enormous group of people in the flyover states or the drive-by counties, whatever you want to call them, who who aren't at the top of the hierarchy, who've never been at the top of the hierarchy, who have seen generationally their position economically decline, seen their towns and cities decline. And then and then in what they feel, and part of this is they're being told they're being blamed, and probably a smaller part is they're actually being blamed, that you You know, straight white male, you're the problem. Like you, you've got to change. Like you're victimizing all these other people when you have you know dudes who work fourteen dollar an hour, uh, you know low wage jobs that are just trying to you know barely make it. Um, And I think that's one of the problems. Is only in America have we figured out how to lump all white people together, right? That's one of the great. Inventions somehow of this country, as we convinced white people they were the same thing. That is not the history of Europe. Um, hmm. That's 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 where we came from, right? That is the only the history of America where all white people are the same. Uh, everywhere else, like we couldn't stop killing each other for thousands of years.
0: Right. It's people forget that the Germans and the British, <laughs> you know, killed millions of each other for all the time. <laughs> all the time, and the French and the British. The French yeah. and the British have had been fighting for you know, centuries. I mean, just couldn't, couldn't get out of the way of killing each other. And now, like, if you're like, oh, British, French people, the same thing. And I'm like, I gotta believe that British, French, and German people have killed more of each other than, I, I don't know, than other countries. I don't wanna be, like, you know, Eurocentric on that, but I'm just thinking, like, they've each killed millions of each, uh, of the other people's population. I know that there have been bad, like, I know until the Hun killed a lot of people, but I don't know, like, you can put him in the same thing. And I'm just trying to wonder, like, now we look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, the French, the Germans, they're the same people. You know, French, German, Italians, it's all the same. And I'm like, no way. I mean, um, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Yeah,
1: and look, I, we're so good at the, the assimilation machine in the United States works so well that e- even... You know, second and third generation Hispanics largely are now considered white as well. Uh, right, there are second and third generation Hispanic women that they marry an Anglo man, have an Anglo last name, and are treated de facto white. Like that, that assimilation machine is remarkably effective in the United States. I think one of the one of our one of the things that's going on right now is we have a um, a race gender D- debate that is masking a class debate um i think that the problem we have in the united states if you look at the tensions are m- are more class related than they are anything else and in a city a class division looks different than a class division looks like in a suburb or or rural area
0: i think you're right on that i think that you know i don't Well, that's hold on. That is uh, as I get to minute 50 on a podcast that's supposed to go to 50. I'm going to I'm going to cut myself off and go to my closing question, which is give me your recommendations on a couple of things people should be watching or reading or downloading right now.
1: So uh, one of my favorites has been there's a podcast being done by the angel investor Jason Calcanis called All In um, and they do an episode roughly every week. That's been good. Um, If you're really feeling edgy, there's an old staple, uh, No Agenda Show. Uh, People have a lot of different feelings about No Agenda Show, uh, whether it's conservative or progressive, or like it's mostly just, I think, anti institutional when it comes to media. But they do such a good job clipping media things from sources it's just really interesting to listen to whether mm. you buy into some of like the theories they'll they'll talk about it's also one of the oldest podcast it was one of the original podcast um you know i've been enjoying uh eric weinstein's the portal um you know eric is uh, one of Peter Thiel's uh, investment partners, he's got some interesting takes on, uh, you know, institutional corruption and, you know, how the boomers are the problem, which I think is also a simplification. Um, so, you know, I've been listening probably to some more uh, heady stuff would be what I recommend. Mm. Um, you know, most of the most of the good content I listen to doesn't really come off of, uh, you know, me- mainstream sources i don't know if mainstream is the right word because you know for example like joe rogan has more listeners on an average episode than 60 minutes has viewers right right so i even that term mainstream i like to listen to full length uncut interviews oh with, i think
0: people listening to this edition of this podcast are, are into that we'll know that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um all right but i gotta ask you though how do you trash it up like what is I mean, you can't be analyzing as much as you are all the time. So give me like, you got to have some filler in there. Oh,
1: I'm, I'm learning that's... to fish. <laughs> okay. How's that going? Um, okay. Like I'm not good at it. I have a, I'm going to try again next weekend. Um, you know, partially cause I don't know anything about fishing and there's a decent amount to learn. And then partially because I think one of the real possibilities of the time period we're in are, are packaged meat shortages. Yeah. Um, you know, all it takes is a few, um, FDA inspectors or department of value inspectors to come down sick or call in and those, uh, meat processing processing plants can't operate. And so, uh, you know, being able to stop by nature's grocery store and pick up some protein, I think could be a useful skill in the next few months.
0: Um, I bought two freezers. Not that freezers do you much good if they're gone, uh, and loaded up with like Omaha steaks. And I did that, I think I did that two months ago. Like, I just knew, yeah. And I, because again, it's, it's you know, the great victory of all this is that the power has not gone out. And I don't even, I mean, I know that a pandemic's not going to impact the power, but you know, that we haven't had some sort of storm in Florida or anything like that as we're getting. To hurricane season. I mean, this whole thing, this entire episode, would be a completely different world if you lost power or Wi-Fi or something like that. I well, mean, if, I, the,
1: if the power was out, <laughs> long term in any place, you would have <laughs> you you would be in a bad situation. You'd yeah. try, you'd want to get out. Which
0: would you rather? Would you rather lo- nowadays? Would you rather lose Wi-Fi or power for a day? Wi-Fi. Yeah, you'd rather lose it, or you'd rather.
1: Oh, I, I'd, I'd prefer to lose Wi-Fi over power because if I have power, um, I can still I can still work like it would have to be deep work where I'm doing long form writing or, yeah. you know, reading or something like that. I could still work and be productive and also comfortable, which in the time we're getting into in Florida is difficult to do without air conditioning.
0: Yep. 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 All right, man. I appreciate this. Thanks for coming on. Joe Clemens, all the smart things you do. Uh, check out his work in. Can- where, what's an access point to you?
1: So uh, at Joe P. Clements on Twitter uh, or that email you're talking about, if you go to our website, choose sds.com, and then click on the download. And then there's a subscribe button there. You can subscribe to it. Cool.
0: All right. Uh, best to you and yours. And uh, we uh, I hope to see you soon on the other side of this. Thanks, Peter. All right, man.